Well, we're finishing up Luke chapter 18, so if you have your Bibles open to the end of Luke 18. I don't know if you noticed we sang quite a few songs this morning about seeing and blindness and opening the eyes of our heart. And I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever missed the obvious? Yeah, like today, right? Of course, you don't know if you missed the obvious. You could be missing the obvious right now. I could be missing the obvious. Not to paranoia you, but... I used to have these fears getting into the pulpit that there was going to be something on me or I would say something that... I would just miss the obvious because it's human nature. One of my preaching professors told a story about the time he was filling in in the pulpit for John MacArthur and in the middle of his sermon, half the ladies in the church got up and left. And like, what am I blind to? What did I say? What did I do? What is going on? It turned out someone in the nursery meant to page one mom and paged all of them. <laughs> Spiritual blindness is much more dangerous than just the typical everyday blindness. Sometimes we look foolish. And you go, oh, that is so embarrassing. How did I miss that? How long has that been going on? And the stakes aren't that high there. That happens to all of us. We get a good laugh out of it. We can extend a little grace. Like how long did I have broccoli in my teeth, right? And everyone saw but me. But it can also be frustrating when you want someone to see something and they just don't see it. And it can be dangerous. You and your friends, you see someone you love, they're headed for a train wreck and everyone's reached out and, and they're just, they don't see it. In fact, they're convinced they see better than everyone else. And certainly, when it comes to our salvation, spiritual blindness can be absolutely deadly. And so this is a big deal, this is very important. And we all agree that at times we're blind and we kind of chuckle and then move on instead of taking steps in our life to say, if this is true, if this is the case and it could be going on right now, why wouldn't I humble myself before the Lord and say, Lord, show me where I'm missing things. To go, like Will said, where are you? I'm looking around. There he is. Will said, to have accountability partners. They're also just called friends. What do you see that I don't see? Where am I blind? Help me see my blindness. I'll help you see your blindness. You attend small groups because that's a good place too. You, you have this great idea about the, the way this passage should be interpreted and you put it out there and you're ready for everyone to go, wow! And the whole group is like, no, not really seeing it. 
Maybe they're blind. Maybe you're blind. But you won't know until you get it out onto the table and discuss it. So I call this sermon 2020 Blindness because people who have 2020 vision literally often can't see but think they see everything clearly. This is part of the human condition. We need to address it this morning. Let me read the story at the end of Luke 18. There's two stories. They're meant to be read back to back. But I'm sure in your Bible, like mine, they're split apart. And you might even have a, uh, a title above Luke 18.35 that says something about Bartimaeus. And so we end up thinking that it's a completely different story. When really, you can tell Luke was putting verses 31 to 34 alongside verses 35 43. So let me read them together. This is the word of the Lord. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and mistreated, and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things, and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Amen. Amen. This morning I'll give you four principles about spiritual blindness. Four principles that will help us guard against our own spiritual blindness. Four principles this morning. Number one, Jesus reveals the hidden things to those who should be able to see. We all agree we need God to reveal things to us. There's things that we can't see spiritually. They must be revealed to us Paul's prayer in Ephesians that the Lord would open the eyes of our heart. We sang that worship song this morning. That we need God to reveal who he is, what he is like, what our spiritual condition is, what our problem really is, what the solution is, what is going to happen in the future. Things like what is the church, how should church be done. Who should be in the church? Who should be out of the church? 
How do we get saved? What is salvation? What is the kingdom of God? All of these questions have to be revealed to us. And praise the Lord, he's given us the word of God. He's given us revelation, truth, that needs to be revealed to spiritually blind people. And yet, and yet, We hear these same truths over and over, day in and day out, week after week, and we can be blind to those very truths. Look at the 12. At this point, they've been with Jesus three years, day in, day out, day after day, night after night, receiving the best teaching anyone could possibly ever receive. And Jesus tells the 12, of all people, should understand what he's teaching. They should be able to see. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. By the way, on the map, they're passing through Jericho, which is in the north. Remember, everywhere is up when you're talking about Jerusalem. A, because it's higher elevation, but B, it's where the temple is. It's where the glory of God resides. So in Jewish thinking, everything is up. They're going up to Jerusalem. I've said this before, I can't help it no matter where I am. If I'm not in Tehachapi, I say I'm going up to Tehachapi. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. And at this point, the apostles, the disciples are thinking, oh, So this is when Messiah is going to overturn Rome and set up the kingdom and we're going to reign with him. Everything we have sacrificed for three years is finally going to pay off. That's what they're thinking. But Jesus clearly lays out another plan. But it's not another plan, it's the plan. It's the way the plan has always been. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the the third day he will rise again. Wow, that's the gospel. That's what we tell people. And they put their faith in Jesus and they get saved. That's what we sing about. It's really the foundation of our faith. Like if you don't get this part right, you're not a Christian. And so he's laying it out for them. And it's not the first time he's told them these things. Luke 9.22, Jesus said the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Luke 9.44, let these words sink into your ears For the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Why does Jesus keep referring to himself in the third person as the Son of Man? That's an overtly messianic title. That is a title reserved for Messiah. Son of Man. He's singling himself out as the Messiah that the Old Testament predicted. So everything the Old Testament says about Son of Man must come to pass. 
including his suffering. Luke 12, 50, but I have a baptism to undergo. Now, at this point, he was already baptized in the River Jordan, so clearly he's talking about a different kind of baptism and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. The disciples were not ignorant. They had been taught this many times before. That ought to tell us something. There could very well be things that we have been taught as Christians our whole life that we are completely blind to. I know this as a teacher. I teach math. I do the lesson. It makes perfect sense. Everybody's nodding. I give the test. Everybody fails. What happened? They thought they knew it, but they didn't. Something else was going on in their heads. We were looking at the same whiteboard and I saw one thing and they saw another. But it was all the same letters and numbers and symbols. It's really kind of scary if you think about it. It should really sober us up this morning. That you could sit week after week, Sunday after Sunday, hearing preaching and just... And you've seen people like this, right? Didn't phase them. You've... You've talked to your children before. And then they go out and do the thing you told them not to do. And you're like, what What was I talking about for the last hour? I guess in their ears it was the wah, 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 wah. As Will was talking about this morning with self-control, are there little sins that are chipping away and you don't see them? We had this kind of freaky thing happen the other night. After dinner, we go into the living room, and 30 minutes earlier, there was nothing on the floor. Thousands of winged insects all over the floor. My brother, the exterminator, I took a picture, called him. He says, you have subterranean termites. And they make a little mud tube, and suddenly it was like the exodus. I mean, it was like one of the plagues hit our living room floor. And I'm like, well, how long has this been going on? He's like, oh, by the time you see those, the queen's been doing things for five to seven years under your house. I'm like, couldn't see it. Right under our noses, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't see it. How much worse when it's something spiritual. Sadly, in the last uh, few weeks, another scandal has rocked the church, another Christian leader falling from grace. I won't say his name, but he pastors at Willow Creek. Had to resign because of allegations of misappropriate conduct with women. Doing things like going to dinner one-on-one. Holding business meetings in his hotel room one-on-one. A female jogging partner going on long jogs together. and He knows better. You know, you could probably go listen to some of his old sermons and hear him saying, don't do this, protect yourself against this, never have a business lunch alone with, with a female. And he said in the statement, 
I miss the obvious and I repent and I step down. He missed the obvious. He was the, he was the guy everybody went to for counsel and wisdom and spiritual teaching and he missed the obvious. And it was going on for some time throughout his career and other people missed the obvious as well. So that'll sober us up. Nobody likes to think about themselves that I'm, I could be blind. But we need to. We need the humility to ask every day, what am I missing? Where, where am I not seeing clearly? That's what Will was talking about with these accountability partners. They're like seeing eye dogs. We, we need people to guide us. And hopefully you're not picking somebody who sees the world the way you do. Because then you're just the blind leading the blind. You need some people in your life that see things differently. But we love to hang out with people who think and talk the way we do. So you end up getting group blindness. Now how did the disciples miss all this teaching about the Old Testament? Not only did the disciples miss it, but all of Israel missed it. The leaders of Israel, the scribes, the Pharisees, the people who knew the scriptures. Nobody was expecting Messiah to suffer. The Old Testament clearly predicts and describes in amazing detail the suffering of the Messiah. Before Jesus came, the Old Testament and the synagogue leaders and the rabbis knew Psalm 22 was a messianic psalm. Yes, David wrote it, but it was referring to the Messiah. Listen to some of the words from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Gee, where have we heard that, right? Jesus will say those words from the cross. Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. It's a Hebraicism of uh, um, mocking someone. Maybe saying something that sounds uh, one way, but the hidden meaning beneath it is something sarcastic. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, Oh, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Right? What did they say at the cross? Oh, he saved many. Why don't you save yourself? Right? If this is God's anointed, really, would God allow him to suffer this way? They open their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. 
My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaves to my jaws. Jesus said, I thirst on the cross. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. He was so scourged that the skin was ripped from him. All of his bones exposed. And yet not one bone was broken. They look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is a messianic psalm. People knew this was talking about Messiah. Of course, Isaiah 53 goes into even more detail about the Son of Man's suffering and sacrificial death. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. There was nothing about Jesus' humble birth and childhood that people said, now there's the future king of Israel. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed, or by his stripes we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So clearly, the Old Testament prophesies the suffering of Messiah. But it also prophesies his resurrection and exaltation. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering and and now it flips. But he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. And we say, Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for bearing our iniquities on the cross. But the disciples, they couldn't see it. Just like the men on the road to Emmaus didn't understand the things that had transpired. And Jesus opened up the scriptures to them and went through Old Testament passages. I wish I knew which ones. And then when they broke bread, finally their eyes were opened and they could see clearly. And then Jesus vanished. Even Jonah points directly to the resurrection. Luke eleven twenty nine. 29, the crowds were increasing and he began to say, because they wanted to see a sign, he said, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Just as Jonah preached repentance and his miraculous 
journey and deliverance from the belly of the fish authenticated his message, so too will Jesus be in the ground for three days and three nights. Matthew lays this out for us. Jesus says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So all the clues were there, all the signs were there, all the predictions all laid out, and nobody saw it. Even when Jesus told them this is exactly what is going to happen, they couldn't see it. So the question then is why the blindness? Where does this blindness come from? And that's the second point. People who should be able to see often can't see. People who should be able to see often can't see. People with all the information, all the facts, all the teaching, they should be able to see, but they can't see. If Jesus' teaching is the first half of this story, and then Bartimaeus being the second half, then Luke 18.34 is the climax. It's the hinge point. It's all pointing to this verse. The disciples understood none of these things, and the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. Now, if I was writing a paper, the English teacher would mark me off for saying the same thing three times. The disciples understood none of these things. The meaning of the statement was hidden from them. And they couldn't comprehend what was said. Is, are all three lines exactly synonymous? Or is there something different going on here? And I, I believe there, there is something profound going on in this statement. The first statement, the disciples understood none of these things. is just a general statement. They, they just they didn't understand. And then you pause, and we're given two reasons why they couldn't understand. Number one, it was hidden from them. It's a passive verb tense in the Greek. That means something's being done to you, and you're not doing it to yourself. So Jesus is clearly teaching them what's going to happen, and then... The text tells us, and yet, it was hidden from them. How was it hidden from them? He laid it out for them. Well, on our side of the cross, we're all like, duh, that is the Christian faith. That's the story. On their side of the cross, they couldn't see, even though it was clearly laid out for them. And this passage is telling us that something is happening external to them and something's happening internally. Something's being done to them and they're doing something and it's working together to cause them to be blind. This, the meaning of the statement was hidden from them. That's outside their control. It was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. That's something they're doing. Like, if they didn't understand, what what should they have done? Just ask. Nobody asked. They didn't want to know. It didn't fit their agenda. It didn't fit their narrative. It didn't fit the plan. 
You know, you think one person would have said, say what, what, what? Did he just say something about dying? Yeah, I think he, you know, raise your hand as a teacher. And just like somebody, stop me because I'll just keep teaching. And I'm sure whatever question you have, there's got to be other people in the class that are, are like, oh, thank you for asking that. I was too embarrassed to ask. The question is, is the problem that the disciples could not understand or that they would not understand? And all God's people said, yes, you're well taught. You understand the Bible's filled with these apparent contradictions and paradoxes, but they're, they're only seemingly paradoxical. We hold these two things in tension that somehow God was sovereignly blinding the disciples and they were blinding themselves. The text is clear there. The, the meaning was hidden from them and they didn't understand. It wasn't that they didn't understand because the meaning was hidden. It's both. It's happening to them and they're doing it to themselves. Here's another passage where this is clearly taught. Mark 4.11 And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. For those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Like, whoa. Jesus is teaching in parables so that some people will not see because if they did, they might turn and repent and be forgiven. And you're like, well, isn't that what we want to have happen? In God's sovereignty, he determines the time that that happens. You got a group of people, you preach the gospel, a group of them believe and get saved, and how did, how did this group not get it? Why do you have unsaved family members? Like, why, why don't they get it? Yet. Could it be that God... Sovereignly blinds people for his own purpose. Yes, the Bible clearly teaches this. We have trouble with that. But at the same time, the Bible says those people blinded themselves. And people tend to focus on what they think is the negative aspect, the negative ramifications of God blinding people. Well, Paul covers that in Romans. Well, then, is there any injustice with God? I mean, if he blinded them, how can he hold them responsible? I said, no, because they blinded themselves, too. Did Pharaoh harden his heart against God? Yes. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Yes. How does that work? It does. Shouldn't there be things in God's economy that we can't wrap our minds around if he's infinite? And so what do we do with this? We don't attempt to unravel the mystery of God's sovereign will. We're obedient to the things he's clearly revealed to us. That's what we do. We handle the human responsibility side of the equation because that's the only side of the equation that we've been asked to have control over. I don't try to control God's sovereignty. Well, I do, and then I repent. 
And sometimes it takes a lot of beating me over the head with love to repent. I've been learning to trust in the sovereignty of God. Trust in it. It should bring comfort, not consternation. Like, well, how could God do this? How could... Look, do you trust in his character? Yes. Is he good? Yeah, absolutely. All the time. Is he trustworthy? Yes. Is he faithful? Yes. Is he perfectly just? Yes. Is he perfectly merciful? Yes. He's all these things so I could trust in his sovereignty. Let me put it to you this way. What a blessing to the disciples that God didn't open their eyes yet. Because they wouldn't have gone to Jerusalem. There'd be no church. There'd be no apostles. Admit it, if you knew everything that was going to unfold in your life, you would not want to live it. You would not want to live that life. Right? Hey, drop your, drop your nets, come follow me. For three years, you're going to walk around with me, and then we're going to go to Jerusalem, and people are going to reject us and mock us and scorn you, and eventually you're all going to die a martyr's death. Oh, sign me up. Right? So he clearly taught it to them. And we find out later, after the resurrection, they go, Oh! Is that what he was talking about? And it wasn't like taught to them in hidden riddles. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be beaten, whipped, spit on. I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to come back to life. Any questions? No questions because they didn't want to see it. They didn't want to know. That wasn't the way the plan was supposed to work in their minds. And that is how we end up blinding ourselves. We, we're, we'll full, full steam ahead. Full steam ahead. Never stopping to ask, am I missing something? Easy to see God's plans after the fact you can look back and go oh oh now i see and even then we only see in part in heaven it'll be day after day after day of just revelation after revelation after revelation of oh wow is that what he was doing everything he's doing has millions of contingencies that we don't see things we're doing have ramifications we can't possibly comprehend, but God sees the entire picture all at once. This is a God we can worship and trust. Don't settle for our puny man-made gods. People who say they have it all figured out. I don't trust those people. Except for when it's me. And then I trust myself Explicitly. And you do it too. So point number three, sometimes those who shouldn't be able to see can see better than others. Sometimes people who shouldn't be able to see can see better than others. That ought to wake us up, make us humble, Well, why do I need to listen to so-and-so or so-and-so? They're blind. Maybe not. 
I've heard more truth by God's common grace sometimes come out of an unbeliever. Like, wow, where did they figure that out? doesn't mean they were placing their faith in God, but that's brilliant. Oh, don't listen to him. He's an unbeliever. Well, I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to make him leader of the church. But if we start categorizing everyone around us as blind, then eventually you get to the place where you're the only one who you think is able to see. That's a dangerous place to be, right? Dangerous place to be. I'm the only one who sees clearly. So, Jesus is approaching Jericho. They're going to pass through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. And there's a blind man, literally blind. You see the irony here. All the seeing people are blind and the blind guy sees. It's it's brilliant. And it's not brilliant storytelling because it actually happened. Like God sovereignly arranged these stories so we would have this amazing record in front of us. The 12 who should be able to see couldn't, and a blind man who shouldn't be able to see can see clearly. The crowd's approaching. Bartimaeus says, what's going on? What's all the hubbub? Oh, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. I know Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of David. That's a messianic title. You You don't call people the son of David. In fact, they were telling him to shut up. And he said it louder. Who revealed that to Bartimaeus? God revealed that. His spiritual eyes were open. This blind man that nobody respected, because remember in this day and age, if you're blind or you have an illness or an impairment, it's because you're a sinner and God's punishing you. So the one guy nobody wants to listen to is speaking the loudest and he's speaking truth. Son of David... Have mercy on me. Everybody should have been saying that. Remember, we just heard a parable from Jesus about the tax collector at the temple saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Everybody in that crowd should have been yelling out, Son of David, have mercy on me. But the one guy who wasn't supposed to see was the only one who could see. That's brilliant. But let's not just be in awe of the brilliance it should be instruct, instructive. Wait a minute. I'm in the crowd. <laughs> what am I missing? I'm not supposed to be missing anything. I'm, I'm a professional pastor. I'm not supposed to be missing anything. I'm supposed to point out to everyone what they're missing. That's a dangerous place to be. People, help me. Have mercy on me. What am I missing? What are you missing? I always do this like check before I go in the pulpit. But I should be doing a heart check. But it's more like, do I have breakfast in my teeth? You know, do I have a stain on my shirt? You know, because that would be embarrassing. Who cares about maybe some obvious moral failure or something I'm missing? No, I'm more worried about, you know, what if my tie doesn't match my shoes or whatever, you know? 
don't we do that? We're, we have these fear of man issues, but the one thing we should care about, do we ask people? Right? Do I have spiritual broccoli on my heart that I don't see? Oh, that's quotable, right? <laughs> By the way, there's two blind men. If, if we look at Matthew's version of the story, it turns out there's two blind men. Why does Luke only mention one? Probably because Bartimaeus became a, a believer in the Christian community. Everybody knew. And oh, Bartimaeus used to be blind? Yeah. That Bartimaeus I just had lunch with? Yeah. That Bartimaeus. And so Luke mentions his name specifically. It's not like the Bible contradicts itself. Luke focused on Bartimaeus. So point number four then, since you can't control God's sovereignty, what can you do? You can put your faith in him. You can put your faith in him. That's what Bartimaeus did. And when you're desperate and helpless and there's not much you can do and you're blind and you're begging on the side of the road, which is like all of us spiritually, you do the one thing you can do. Son of David, have mercy on me. You cry out to the Lord, you go to him in prayer and look at the Lord's compassion. What do you want me to do for you? I want to regain my sight. And in essence, it's, it's not written, but it's implied. Jesus was saying, my son, you already see. It's all these other people who are blind. But since you put your faith in me, I'll give you your sight as well. You already see clearly. Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Sozo in the Greek, saved, literally saved. Your faith has saved you. I believe this was the moment Bartimaeus became a believer in Jesus Christ. He was saved. He was justified the miracle of getting his vision back was, was subsequent. It was garnish. The main blessing had already come. But so that the crowd would see that Jesus has the power to save, he healed his blindness. The blind man could already see what the seeing people could not. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We're all blind in the sense that there's things about God we won't get to see yet, but we've been told, and so we believe. We walk by faith. And saving faith always produces worship and obedience. We talked about this last week. How do you know what you really are putting your faith in? Because it leads to tangible fruit. Immediately he regained his sight and he began following him. That's obedience. And glorifying God. That's worship. And then people saw his life and what did they do? They gave praise to God. So, beloved, we strive to know more deeply 
while understanding that we don't have it all figured out. Can you hold that intention? Like, do you know more as a Christian today than you did 10 years ago? I hope so. But the more you end up knowing, it's one of these weird paradoxes, the more you end up knowing what ends up happening, the more you realize what? How little you really know. The people who think they know everything are the people who know the least. That's why we don't put children in charge of things. Right? We were all teens once and thought we knew everything. The world was very simple back then. We had it all figured out. And we're like children, the Bible says, right? Jesus says we're like children. You need to come to God in faith. Childlike faith, not childish faith, childlike faith. I don't have it all figured out, God, but you've revealed enough to me for me to know what I need to do. I need to trust you. I need to follow you. I need to glorify you. So here's some questions this week. And don't wait to the middle of the week because you'll forget the whole sermon. Talk about these on the way home. Talk about them over lunch. What causes us to have 2020 blindness? In other words, why do we miss the obvious? Is it ignorance? Like you just don't know? Then you need to go get information. Is it willful ignorance? Like you know where you could get the information, I just don't want to. I like hear this from people who don't want to go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. I don't want to go. Why? Because they'll tell me everything that's wrong with me. I just would rather not know. You know if you asked a loved one or a close friend if you were missing something, they could tell you, then why don't we ask? We don't want to know. That's scary. It it could be embarrassing. I love what Will said, though. There's freedom on the other side, right? There's, There's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He already knows your junk. And he chose to love you in spite of it. So you can be honest with it. It's not like if you put it out there, Jesus is going to go, Oh, I had no idea. Never mind the whole salvation. No, no. You're not living in my kingdom. No. Be honest with it. It's the only way we're going to grow and be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. You want that. So we have to be honest. What makes me blind? Am I too focused on my own ideas and dreams right now? I'm full steam ahead, man. I've got the blinders on. You could be headed towards a cliff. It's so hard to hear when you've got your hopes and dreams set on something and you go and you share it with someone you love and they're like, eh, not so much. It's, it's a downer for sure, but... You've got to do it. We know that we can be blind, so you've got to ask. And you have to ask with a spirit of humility, willing to hear the truth. It doesn't mean that everything people tell you is, is they, could, they could be not seeing things clearly either. It doesn't mean that immediately whatever people say to you, you have to go, all right. 
you know, it could be like, huh, I, I, don't, I don't know. You have no reason to lie to me. Maybe I need to ask some other people. And don't go talk to the people you know are going to tell you what you want to hear. I talked to three other people. They said you were a fool. No, they didn't. Number two, how would you know if you had 20-20 blindness if you can't see it? Right? I don't think I'm having any blindness right now. Well, if you're blind, you can't see it. Someone else has to see it for you. Do family and friends have permission to point out potential blind spots? Do you only hang out with people who think exactly like you do? Don't isolate yourself, but at the same time, don't hang out with the same two people all the time. You just work yourselves up into a frenzy. Yeah, yeah, what's up with the world? Yeah, everybody's wrong but us. Everybody's evil. You've been in that group, okay. (laughs) Very practical here. Very practical, yet big stakes are on the line. Big stakes are on the line. I'm going to pray for you. You pray for me. Father God, Thank you that you see clearly everything and that you don't leave us groping around here in the dark. We understand, Lord, that for a time you may allow us to be blind for your own good purposes and ultimately for our good. And yet you don't want to leave us in that condition, Lord. So may we listen this morning with humility and be suspicious of our own blindness Open the eyes of our heart. Put people in our lives who can point out what we can't see. Make it obvious to us, God, and give us the eyes to see and humble hearts ready to accept it and act on it. Thank you, Lord. We know this is for our own good, but more importantly, for your glory. And so we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.